Welcome to episode 175 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a few moments, I will be joined by Paul Herman for the first of two segments on this week's episode. But before all of that starts, just want to remind you to follow us anywhere you can at MCU Fan Show. Well, anywhere being Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then also, if you have found this show on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to leave us a rating and review if you have not done so already. If you have, thank you very much for taking the time to do that. So in this week's podcast, we have two different segments. First, Paul and I are going to talk about the news of Oscar Isaac reportedly being in talks to star in the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series Moon Knight. And then after you hear Paul and I talk about that, you'll hear another segment that I recorded with one of our patrons, Diego Aguirre. And we had a conversation about fandom, Marvel fandom, of course, across generations, cross-generational fandom, if you will. And I really enjoyed the conversation that Diego and I had. Diego has a son with whom he shares his Marvel fandom, and he doesn't just do that in terms of sharing the movies, although that's the biggest part of it, but it's talking about the movies, taking away lessons from the movies, but they also, Diego and his son, podcast about Marvel and other things that they just love to geek out about together, which I think is awesome. The name of that podcast is Geekology 101. So first, you're going to hear Paul and I talking about Moon Knight. Then you're going to hear Diego come on the show. And I really hope you enjoy the conversation that we have about fandom across generations, because I know I certainly did. But first, here's Paul and I talking about Moon Knight. Paul Herman, how you doing? Well, I, I'm doing well. We uh, recently celebrated a Halloween. A lot of exciting things happened. I got to tell you a quick story about Lulu, if that's okay. Please do. Um, all right, excellent. So <clears throat> for those who don't know, I have a daughter, and uh, right off the bat, <clears throat> I was uh, showing her Spider-Man cartoons from the, the minute we, we brought her home. And, and it's mainly because I was just, I started watching this particular Spider-Man cartoons that a good friend of ours, uh, Richard, Richard Church, R- Ricky Church, I should say, um, gave me for my birthday. It was very nice of him. I had never seen it before. And so while I was feeding her, while my wife slept, I decided to just watch Spider-Man cartoons thinking nothing of it. Well, as the months have gone on there, I've been, I, I know for a fact, she knows Spider-Man and I'm. Like I wear like a Marvel shirt and Spider-Man's like in like uh, surrounded by characters and she would like hand like gesture towards them. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. She already recognizes Spider-Man. My wife's like, that's impossible. You can't do that. I can't even tell. And she's like, trying to argue with me. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm thinking too much into this, you know? And I have like a, an amazing fantasy poster, uh 15 poster in my, in my room here. And my, and she would stare at it, you know? And I'm like, she recognizes Spider-Man and I've, we watched a couple different cartoons here or there, you know? And so anyway, my wife is like, whatever, you know, roll her eyes at me. And, and even like her, her, our, our nephews would be like, no, you should recognize the Spider-Man. Like my wife is like, no, it's, it's she, she doesn't like, it's just me being ridiculous. Right. Fast forward to Halloween day. And my wife is going to us, random, a Starbucks. It's like a, it's just all, it's like a little, a little Starbucks area. It's like, it has like, it's like two crates on it. It's it can really weird. Anyway, you can't even like sit inside, but even if you could without COVID, there's nowhere to sit. So literally it's just a giant through. And, <clears throat> and so she's in, she sees this guy who's, who was a worker there. He goes into like the back and he had like a costume on 
or he, he had the, he could tell he was going to get ready for his costume to put on something on. And she's in line in the drive through. He gets out and it's, he's dressed up as Spider-Man and Lulu sees him and goes, ah, and like <laughs> and, and immediately screamed. And she went, Oh my God. She totally recognized him as Spider-Man. And she texted me immediately. She's like, okay, you're never going to believe this, but Lulu just saw a guy dressed up as Spider-Man and yelled. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so awesome. I know. I and and so we went to uh, we went we went to her, her aunt's later that night with with and her and my my nephews are really into Spider-Man. They're really into like Miles Morales, uh, Ghost Spider. Like they're super into it. Like mega into it. They dress up as Ghost Spider and, and Miles for Halloween. And they were playing with Spider-Man and, and, and they had this like the Spider-Man doll and she was just staring at it. <laughs> and and I even bought and because I'm trying to and, and to be to be quite fair, I'm trying to like give uh, her some kind of I don't know, because Spider-Man's cool and all. But I want I, I like I think Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen is amazing costume. It She's is. Ama- it's, it's amazing. So I bought her a plush. Um, I Well, first I bought her a bendy Spider-Gwen that my wife put somewhere and probably to hide because she doesn't want to see it and then <laughs> i bought her the 12 inch figure which it was hard to find at first and i bought that but i'm gonna give her that later when she gets a little bit older but i did buy her a plushy spider gwen uh stuffed animal that it's not mass but, it, but whatever but she likes that so but yeah she's gonna be she's connecting with spider-man more than i realized it's weird and it's totally about, it's not even like I'm like force feeding her. It's like, oh man, she recognizes Spider-Man. So anyway, quick story. My, my, my daughter saw Spider-Man. Someone dressed as Spider-Man and yelled. I thought it was really fun. So that's awesome. Anyway. I mean, yeah, I thought it was pretty- it's, you know, it's just the Herman squeal. It, it goes from one generation to the next. So it's yeah, good, totally it, true. It's Holy good crap. To, it's good to know that that's alive and well. So, yes, exactly. Uh, but no, that that's such an awesome story. And uh, it's even more awesome, you know, because Lulu has to take the win. But the second most awesome story of the week, um, or actually now this is a couple weeks old. So we're uh, we're a little bit of we're a little bit delayed on the podcast. But we did get huge news within the past couple of weeks that Oscar Isaac is reportedly, according to Deadline, going to star or at least in talks, which means it's probably happening because it usually is when it gets to the trades. Oscar Isaac in talks to star in Marvel Studios Disney Plus original series Moon Knight. So he's going to be playing Mark Spector, a.k.a. Moon Knight, a.k.a. a few other people, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, stuff like that. So Fist of Conchu. So we have all these different names, all these different identities for Moon Knight, and Oscar Isaac is going to be playing at least some of them. We don't know how many of those identities slash personalities will factor into the series. But, Paul, as soon as I got this news, yeah. uh, I saw it on the Discord that we have uh, through the Patreon, and then I just texted you the link, and I was just like, dude, like that was all I could yeah. really say I remember yeah. about this, because Oscar Isaac, I mean, I think it's no secret we're both big fans of the guy. I yeah. think everybody is an Oscar Isaac fan at this point. I don't know anybody who isn't. Um, he's an incredible actor, and I, I just think that Oscar Isaac, in some ways, I mean, he was still on that wish list for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he was kind of on my list maybe as a Doctor Doom one day or something like that. But I didn't know where the opportunity would be for Oscar Isaac in the MCU because there was an opportunity, or at least that was the scuttlebutt several years ago, is that Oscar Isaac could have potentially been Doctor Strange. And depend and some of the reporting there was even saying like he had he could have been Doctor Strange, but he chose to play Apocalypse instead. We know how yeah. that worked out. 
And that's not to say that Oscar Isaac was <clears throat> the first choice for Doctor Strange. He wasn't. It was Benedict Cumberbatch. If you remember, it, there was a time where it looked like Benedict Cumberbatch was not going to be able to do it because of scheduling. And then they went to other people, including Joaquin Phoenix, and then eventually Oscar Isaac. And none of those people ended up, uh, it didn't work out with any of those actors, including Oscar Isaac. And then Marvel and Scott Derrickson ultimately decided, let's just go back to our top choice. And they shifted things on the schedule so that Benedict Cumberbatch could play Stephen Strange in the MCU. And that's worked out beautifully to have Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. But you still have this remarkable talent in Oscar Isaac and you want to get him in the MCU. And I don't know why he wasn't really on my radar for Moon Knight. But as soon as I saw this, like that makes a lot of sense. And I really love that this is the project that Oscar Isaac has landed on as far as wanting to be part of and, and leading a Marvel Studios property. Because when you think about somebody in Oscar Isaac's position, let's just consider the point here that like pretty much everybody wants Oscar, Oscar Isaac to be part of their franchise and whatever they have going on. Coming off of Star Wars, you know he's going to be in, in Dune. And you know pretty much anybody would be happy to have this guy, uh, which is to say that Oscar Isaac is someone who has options. So he doesn't have to do this. And he could even tell Marvel Studios... Eh, give me something that's a movie, but mm-hmm. it's not any of that. It's he's this. This says to me that Oscar Isaac specifically believes somebody who has all the options that an actor like Oscar Isaac has mm. looks at this and says, "Yeah, I want to do this." I think that speaks very highly of the quality of this project as far as the writing, with the series being mm. developed by Jeremy Slater. Obviously, a tremendous amount of confidence that a lot of people have in Kevin Feige and the overall team at Marvel Studios, but. Oscar Isaac doesn't just sign on for this because it's Marvel Studios. He signs on because it's Marvel Studios. But then, more importantly, what type of shape these scripts are in for these episodes of Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. So I think Oscar Isaac would have had to have been overly impressed, just over the moon with these scripts to sign on, because it's not the kind of thing he has to do. So, And Mm. I'm really happy that Moon Knight would be in that type of shape to where Oscar Isaac would want to sign on. And then, of course, now it's in even better shape, because as good as these scripts are, you need the talent to come in and elevate this material, and Oscar Isaac can elevate anything that he has, mm. any script that he has to look at and perform. Man, this is loaded. I'm not gonna lie, this is loaded. So, first of all, I had a, you made a, a comment that I didn't even think about, Sean. Uh, that you know, this you know, he could have said, "This uh, give me a movie, a movement movie." What I'm wondering, d- does COVID and the and and the future of cinema make? May alter this decision because it did get announced at this time, and we don't know when he was being courted and 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 this negotiations. Stuff, this started. news could be months old. We really don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And but I'm wondering is with the future of cinema kind of in the balance, and with streaming being the future of all Hollywood is at this point. I mean, really, which I I don't. Again, I'm not saying it should be. I'm I'm saying that that that's is this more of a a a, a what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of like you're hedging your bets a little bit, like just in case like movies are done for a while, I've got something in the bag. That's, that's I don't think the, so. Cause I don't I, think so. I, I really don't because even if Oscar Isaac wanted to go streaming, mm. Netflix would give him a series, anything he wants. He could, that's ha- true. He could handpick a writer or showrunner that he wants to work with. And Netflix will just throw him a bunch of money. So like even yeah, that's a good point. Even if he wanted to go streaming over movies, I don't think he just automatically goes to Marvel. I think there's a lot of things that he could do. 
Um, and in fact, part of the reason why this news jumped out to me, though, is, you know, Oscar Isaac, he hasn't been as vocal as John Boyega, but both of them have been critical of Disney's handling of the Star Wars franchise, or at least their time in mm. that franchise. Mm-hmm. And so there's been some thought that, well, these guys probably won't want to do franchise things anymore. Or if they're going to do a franchise thing, not something under the Disney umbrella. But this shows, at least in Oscar Isaac's case, I I wouldn't speak for John Boyega or how he feels. Although I do think John Boyega would probably work with Marvel Studios. Uh, Not speaking for him, just think maybe he would. Um, Mm -hmm. But for Oscar Isaac to not really care about that and just go into, look, evaluating this project on its own terms with somebody who has options. Because even movies... It's not that movies are going away. It's that maybe movies don't play in theaters quite like they used to, but you still have companies like whether even for Marvel Studios, even if there are no more movie theaters, which is I don't think is really what we're looking at as far as the future here. But I still think you get Marvel Studios movies. I don't think you just get series. And similar to like Netflix, they, they have series, of course, but they also make their own movies. Sure. And you have Apple doing stuff like that with Apple TV Plus. So People are still going to be making feature films and Oscar Isaac could say, well, I'd rather, you know, thanks for Moon Knight, but can I do Fantastic Four or something else that that probably is going to be intended for movies? Like, I would rather do that. He's not big timing anything. He's just saying, look, all he uh, I think Oscar Isaac is the kind of person where and, and not that I know the guy, but he strikes me as the kind of actor just with some of the choices he's made throughout his career that he really does go for. He he goes for what he believes in artistically. That yeah, he, those are the choices that he tends to make, and so that's why this gives me just an extra confidence boost in this project. There's mm. already enough of it there because Marvel Studios is so consistent with what they've done, and yeah. specifically Moon Knight was very exciting when we heard about that news when they announced it at D23 Expo in 2019. Just they had us at Moon Knight as far as yes, you're making a Moon Knight series, great, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to see it. But now you have Oscar Isaac saying, yeah, I want to go ahead and lead this project. And another thing to think about in terms of streaming, though, is this is a bigger commitment because usually you're having to, you know, this is something that could go on for multiple seasons, potentially, you know, like and we don't know how that's going to be the case. If that will be the case for all Marvel Studios, Disney Plus series, they've still been described as limited series, event series. So we don't know how all of that is going to shake out. But Moon Knight is the kind of thing that I could totally see getting multiple seasons. I mean, I know the MCU in general is a big commitment because you're usually signing on for multiple movies and crossovers and stuff like that. But Moon Knight could be an especially big commitment for Oscar Isaac. And so I, I think this really speaks very highly, not just of Marvel and not just of the character of Moon Knight, of Mark Spector, but this specific project, because Oscar Isaac isn't committing to this stuff sight unseen he's look and they've written the scripts for moon Knight, so he would have been reading this material and and saying like yeah this is something i this is something i'm excited to do so there's so much with this and i i want to say that i haven't seen all uh every uh you know movie of oscar isaac's I, I need to see Llewellyn uh, davis uh, i love the coen brothers i mean i believe they did, did that movie with him mm-hmm. um so I need to see that. And side note, I, I know that Oscar is actual is actually a, a 
a musician because not just because of that movie, but because there's video. If you look for it, I found this randomly years and years ago when I owned before uh, Force Awakens because I was all hyped and just looking at things. And I found someone that had a video of him playing bass for a ska band when he was in high school. And oh my God, he looked like a little runt. It was so funny. Oh my God. And if you're like me, he's, we're all close in age, me and him and every whatever. And, and it's, if you back in the day, ska music, whoo, man, that was, that was the, that was the shit back in the day. And so the fact he's playing bass for a ska band, oh my God, it's hilarious. So anyway, Oscar Isaac, I'm with you. I'm with you, Sean, that he can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And I know Apocalypse is an abomination of a film. It really is. And I I would blame Apocalypse as a part of the movie, but not because of Oscar Isaac. It was because of the costume, because of the writing. To be honest, I think that he did whatever he, he did. He did everything he could to salvage that role. And I would not blame him for that at all. And I think he did a fine job as what he was given with. And, and he tried to elevate as much as he could. Uh, Poe Dameron, kind of the same thing for the most part. I, I like Poe I like po Dameron, but I'm not the biggest Poe Dameron fan. I, I don't like him in The Last Jedi at all. I think he's really bad, to be, to be quite honest. Um, but again, Rise of Skywalker, I think he's a lot better. And, but cause it's all, and honestly, cause Oscar Isaac, is a good actor. He's mm-hmm. just, he can, he, he's very, he's very charismatic at whatever he does. And I think that is to me what draws people to him. It's just like, he's, he's a great actor, but there's something about him that when he, he's just, he's charismatic. And some actors who are great actors have a natural way on the camera and people that's drawn naturally to them. And some are, some aren't, some great actors don't have that natural chemistry and it's just kind of a a certain magic. He definitely has that magic. And I think that, like you said, Sean, he definitely is a little choosy in what he picks. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously he kind of picks things he believes in. He really believed in apocalypse. I think you could tell there's gotta be some, I know he was a star Wars fan growing up. No, he he talked about that. He was, he was also an X-Men fan and that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was actually why. And that's why, I mean, I'll give him credit for Apocalypse, regardless of how it turned out, just speaking to his integrity, like you could have looked at that and you could have said, well, Doctor Strange, I mean, X-Men's obviously a big deal, but Doctor Strange is part of Marvel Studios, it's part of the MCU, that's been really hot, and so that has a very good chance of being successful. I might as well go ahead and do that, but the dude actually went with his heart and said, I'm a bigger fan of this, so I'm going to go in this direction. And I've always respected that choice, even you know, despite the result. I, I would say that you know you could give him a little. It'd be fair to criticize him a bit for that performance, but he certainly wasn't set up for success, uh, based on the writing, yeah. uh, based on the design of the character. You mentioned the costume, not just the costume, but the makeup. Why would you get somebody yeah. like Oscar Isaac to play this role and then bury him under that Power Ranger like Ivan Ooze or whatever that guy's name was <laughs> makeup? Like it just never. It just never made any sense. But yeah, I mean, you look at the rest of his career. I mean, the first time I remember seeing Oscar Isaac and being like, who is this guy was actually Sucker Punch back in what was oh, that, wow. 20, 2011. He was in that? Wow. Yeah, he's in Sucker Punch. And I mean, say what you will about that movie. And there's plenty that has been said about that movie. Most of it not good. But Oscar Isaac was really good in that. And that was what really caught my attention. 
And I know he was also in like Robin Hood in, in 2010, but that was a movie I caught up with uh, a little bit later. But ever since then, it was just like, who was this guy? But yeah, Inside Lewin Davis, he was great in that. Uh, he's been great in Ex Machina with Domal Gleason in 2014 and Alicia Vikander. Like he's been really good in, in a lot of things over the course of his career. And with Star Wars, I thought he was great in The Force Awakens, underutilized in The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. I don't really have issues performance-wise with The Last Jedi, but I agree that not everything with Poe is is perfectly handled in The Last Jedi. I, I like mm -hmm. the arc for Poe Dameron. I don't. I like the idea of the arc for Poe Dameron more than I like yeah. the execution of the arc for Poe Dameron. That's fair. Uh, but it's yeah. not Oscar Isaac's fault. He didn't write that. Uh, yeah. So... Um, and in general, I, I know I have a, a higher opinion of Last Jedi than you do. But, yes, you know, but over the course of his time as Poe Dameron, I mean, I, I think that was one of the things that I think almost everybody. No, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people agreed on this idea of we just kind of want more of this guy and we want him to mm -hmm. have more important things to do in the story. And that, I think, really speaks highly of Oscar Isaac as an actor is that he's playing this character that maybe the audience isn't given as much of this character as they should be and isn't giving as much meaningful action and development of this character as they should be given. And they're craving it and they're wanting it. And the, re the only reason they want that is not necessarily because of what's on the page, but what's being, what's being elevated from that page by the actor. And so that's, you know, I, I still think a lot of that ultimately ends up being in some odd way, a compliment to Oscar Isaac. Suffice to say, I think he's, he, I think he's brilliant. I think he's really talented and I think he's going to be great for this role, because if we're talking about a character like Moon Knight, this is a very complex character. And that's why I think I could see this being very exciting to Oscar Isaac without knowing the specifics of these scripts for these episodes. But as a concept, you know, when you play Moon Knight, if you're going to play this character, you actually get to play more than one. Uh, you know, there's different even the character of Moon Knight. There's different iterations of that character. You have Moon Knight in a suit, like an actual like suit and tie. You have Moon Knight in more superhero caped costume. You have a cabbie in Jake Lockley, like you have a built, you know, a rich guy in Stephen Grant. Like you get to play these different types of characters because Moon Knight has this dissociative ident identity disorder. And so or he thinks maybe he does. And, you know, and a lot of that stuff is still kind of part of a mystery, even in the comic books and open to interpretation and reinterpretation, depending on who's on whoever is writing the character. But I do think a lot of these things, while we don't know if every single identity for Moon Knight uh, or Mark Spector is going to play a part in this series over time, it could, even if it's not within these first six episodes of a Disney Plus series. But I think Oscar Isaac is going to get to flex a lot of different acting muscles uh, over the course of being yeah. in this series. And I think he's somebody who has all the range that you would need from an actor to come in and be able to play all these different identities that you might potentially have Moon Knight take on over the course of the series. And when Oscar Isaac is on screen, uh, it's usually a thing where I just feel totally engaged and ready and just ready to watch and follow whatever that guy's story is. And, you know, so for the idea of him playing Moon Knight, I think is awesome. I, this is somebody who was definitely on a, a wish list, I think, for myself and a lot of fans, even mm -hmm. though it didn't work out with Doctor Strange. Well, it worked out because Benedict Cumberbatch has been so great. But, you know, ever since then, I, I think Oscar Isaac has been on that short list of, of wanting to be there. And I, I know he's been on fan casting lists for all kinds of Marvel roles, DC roles of people wanting him to be in these bigger franchises. But 
this isn't the biggest role. Well, this may not be the biggest role that Oscar Isaac could have played in the MCU. As I said, I think he'd be an outstanding Doctor Doom, but in the same way that maybe you don't want to hide Oscar Isaac underneath ooze makeup, uh, maybe you also don't want to bury him behind an iron mask. So uh, yeah. I, I think this is a great character. And, and I, obviously Moon Knight is masked, but not all the time. And so I think you're going to see uh, a lot of different, uh, you're, you're going to see a lot of what makes Oscar Isaac so great. And he's probably going to be able to show us things that he's never shown us before uh, in his performances, in, in his uh, previous performances and other projects. So yeah. I'm just very excited about this. I think this is outstanding casting. It's it's hard to look at an actor like Oscar Isaac and say if he's cast in anything that it's out of left field, but it kind of feels that way because it just wasn't yeah. he just wasn't on the list for this role, but I think he's going to be really great in it. I think the one thing that is really surprising about this news and I think just Moon Knight in general is how not surprising but rather just I'm very interested how they tackle the source material because I think to attract someone like an Oscar Isaac, you have to embrace the uniqueness of the character, mm -hmm. which is that, you know, the identity disorder that he has, that he goes between those three different, and you don't have, you have to do all three, you know, identities. You could just do just the two, the, the Stephen Grant and Mark Spector, Mark Spector being the main one. Now, J J and Jake Lackley uh, is still Lackey, whatever his name is. Uh, is still an important piece, but I think those, to, in my opinion, those two are the important ones. But the reason why I think it's interesting is because it is a darker, more complex story. And to embrace that and to bring someone on Oscar Isaac's level, I think says something. I think that's what, to me, it, it says one thing. It, it confirms one thing, that they are going a little more uh, unique and going down a little bit different path. And I think what cements it is the fact that I just watched um, a phenomenal, by the way, uh, episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, I say phenomenal in it because I know it's not perfect, but just I still love it. It's imperfections and all. That episode was Chapter great. Chapter 9 is dope. Yeah, it's great. You, you don't it's, have to explain that. It's amazing. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm, I'll never forget, and my, and again, my wife Morgan is not a fan of Star Wars or Marvel or really anything, but she she likes the Mandalorian main, mainly because of Baby Yoda, and she knows it's a big deal for me. So she actually she actually will watch it with me. It's our new tradition of, of what we have pizza night every every week, and now with Mandalorian coming out, we've moved it to Friday so we can watch eat pizza together as a family and watch you know whatever. So we're watching it, and spoiler alert if you haven't seen the Mandalorian yet, but if you haven't, come on, man. Uh, he basically like takes a guy, uh, ties him up to a light, a light post and leaves him to die. And, and, my, and my wife goes, wow, I can't believe they just did that. And it, for a star Wars slash Disney show, it, she's on the money. It's a little bit of a darker for like a family kid show. And that's exactly what the Mandalorian is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, and, and I know there's lots of movies. They have the X-Men movies on there as well, which aren't exactly all, you know, unicorns and rainbows necessarily. And so I guess for me, it just confirms the idea that even for a thing like the Mandalorian, which again, you kind of tread lightly, I think is how popular that show is. They kept it kind of dark. They yeah. let the, they let the, the showrunners have, you know, and John Favreau, okay, John Favreau. I mean, they're, they're yeah. This is the him. show with the cutest, most beloved thing in all of pop culture. And they'll have a scene like that. Exactly. And so I think with all that said, and I think, and I think the way they will market Moon Knight will be that this is not exactly meant for little children. It'll be a little bit more 
kind of like WandaVision. And then we talked about WandaVision, a great example of that. This does not look like a traditional, like, let's all sit down as a family and eat this. It's a lot more complex than that. I think uh, that element will still be there, but it's not something you just will be able to sit down with, you know, your, your four-year-old and be like, or five-year-old and be like, all right, let's watch it and have a good old time. Like, it's not going to be like that. It, it's a little bit of an older audience, which I think is good. I think sometimes even younger kids, when they introduce complex things to them, it opens yeah. up dialogue. Again, that's my opinion. But with Moon Knight, it's you're getting a character that is super complex, can be super dark. Because remember, Mark Spector is a freaking mercenary. This guy yeah. is, he's not, like, he's, again, he's, this is not a government agent who's just a, he get, or, or an army soldier who, go, I mean, at least in the comic, or in the comics, he's not. He may, they, may, they might change that. Who knows? Yeah. But Well, even as a superhero, he can be very violent. Yeah, and then that I'm not even gone there. Yet. Exactly. So I mean, there's different things, and I think that to attract one to attract Oscar Isaac, you have to keep that aspect. I think, and I think that that to me is what probably attracted him to this role, and as the fact that they're saying, listen, we're you know we're embracing the side of the character. Here's the proof. Here's the scripts, and they're like, he's like, whoa, you guys are taking this way farther than I ever anticipated, and. I, I again, just, I'm assuming this because you don't get someone like Oscar Isaac unless you are doing something I think a little bit different and unique. For like sure. you said, Sean. Like like Dune is a great example, right? I'm a big Dune fan. I love Dune, and the Dune story is mega complex. And it, it's and I'll be honest, I have no idea if Dune's going to be a success. It looks incredible, in my opinion. I think it's I mean, a brilliant story. Dune has a very high chance of being Blade Runner 2049 all over again, which. It's honestly, it's fine by me as long as they make the second one because it's going to split it up in two. But anyway, but my point is, if if he was looking for exposure and looking for and he being Oscar Isaac exposure and all the you know and, and super wealth from points of of having with Dune, then that wasn't exactly the greatest probably no. uh, you know thing. He did it like you said, Sean, for the artistic merit. That, that's something he wanted to be a part of, and I think Moon Knight is no exception. Yeah, I think he did Dune because of Denny Villeneuve doing it, like. Yeah, and Dune's story, but yeah, that's yeah, why exactly. I, that's why I want to be in Dune is because of who's making it. And and I think that for something like this, I agree with that point that it's part of what makes this great or what should make Moon Knight great and make it attractive to somebody like Oscar Isaac and also make it attractive to the audience is that you think about this character. And the truth be told, when we see Moon Knight, he shouldn't really remind us of a bunch of other characters in the MCU or other superhero movies. This is a very unique character. And so with something like Oscar Isaac, like he's going to he's only going to want to sign on for this if he sees Marvel and everybody involved in this specific series. Uh, and we know that Jeremy Slater uh, was the head writer for the series. And we know a, a director was reported re, reportedly recently hired Mohammed Diab. Everybody attracted to this series. And for Oscar Isaac to want to sign on has to believe that this is going to be something special. And it can't be special if it's the same as what everybody else has already been doing or if it feels overly familiar compared to other things that maybe Marvel Studios or, or other other studios that have made superhero movies. If it's very if it's if it feels at all familiar to other things, maybe not as attractive. But we knew that we know that Moon Knight can be a very, very different type of story and open up to a lot of different types of stories that you can tell. I mean, you go into the, a lot of Moon Knight comic books and you can tell a completely different style of story from one issue to the next. And I think that I, I would love to see that factor into some of the episode formats for something like Moon Knight, where you just really don't know what style of story you might get from one episode to the next, while, of course, still having a coherent narrative that's working across these at least six episodes, depending on whether or not we get more than one season 
of uh, of Moon Knight. But I think this is awesome news. Have an incredibly talented actor who's going to be joining the MCU and in this capacity with this project for Moon Knight was already tremendously excited for it. Now there's even more reason to be excited with Oscar Isaac taking this title role. And I just can't wait to see Moon Knight on Disney Plus whenever it is we get to see it. That's it for the Moon Knight talk. And now it's time for a conversation about fandom across generations. As I mentioned at the top of the show, for this segment, I was joined by one of our patrons, Diego Aguirre. We were talking about fandom from one generation to the next, sharing fandom across generations as Diego is doing with his son, And Paul, of course, unwittingly set up this segment when he was talking about Lulu's immediate love for Spider-Man, like there was any chance that wasn't going to happen, as we all know Paul Herman and his love of Spider-Man. But it was so great to hear that story from Paul with the beginning of Lulu's Marvel fandom. And now you'll hear a little bit more about Diego with his lifetime of Marvel fandom that is catching on with his son. And it's something they share across movies, just across conversations and in podcast form over on Geekology 101. But before you hear from Diego, I just want to go ahead and let you know about the Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. That is where you will find exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else. And that includes a brand new Patreon exclusive fan show plus where we get to talk about stuff that's not strictly speaking the MCU. In fact, it often isn't. Right now, what we're doing on Fan Show Plus, uh, the first few episodes are already available, and we are going episode by episode. Right now, they're just me flying solo, but I'll have some guest co-hosts as well coming in. But that's where you will find episode reviews of the second season of The Mandalorian. So those exclusive podcasts and many more are available over on the Patreon. And we also have a Patreon-exclusive Discord community where we're just geeking out about Marvel, Star Wars, and other things every single day. And one more note about the exclusive audio is that if you do sign up, you will get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. So you get all of your MCU fan show as well as fan show plus and other MCU themed Patreon exclusive podcasts. They're all going to be in one place. You don't have to track them down in multiple feeds. And speaking of the Patreon, one last note, have some folks to thank. Thank you very much to Jan P, Andrew H, Zach M, Paul H., Eric V., Omar B., and Cursed by Beauty for being patrons like Diego, whom you're about to hear. Thank you so much for supporting our community and allowing us to create additional exclusive podcasts. And for those of you out there who've yet to join our community but would like to, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Now, please enjoy this conversation I had with Diego Aguirre about fandom across generations. Diego, welcome to the MCU Fan Show. Happy to have you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Sean. I'm very happy to be here, man. Well, I'm very happy to have you, and I really appreciate the topic that you've brought to us for the show, because we're going to talk a, a little bit about cross-generational fandom, because as you had sent me a message as we were talking about what we want to discuss on the show, talking about your own Marvel fandom, the fandom with your kids, uh, but we'll get to your kids later, because you were here first. So let's talk yeah. about your own fandom, though, just kind of as a as a starting point, because I think with the MCU, what it's delivered to us is so many different stories for people yeah. as fans and, and how they found the characters and the stories. Maybe it's just the movie. Maybe it's comic books. I know in your case, though, it was uh, the comics first, correct? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, as far as like submerging myself into uh, into the universe, it really was the comics. I, I grew up in Colombia until I was eight years old. 
So I arrived in the U.S. at that age, and that's when I really started being exposed to the entire experience of what a comic book shop even was. We didn't have those in Colombia when I was growing up. So going in there, walking into a comic book shop and just seeing the wall, endless walls, you know, covered in all these characters that I'd only seen in, you know, uh, reruns of cartoon shows down in Colombia, you know, dubbed, you know, where the quality (laughs) wasn't the best. Um, it, it was so incredible, man. I felt like I had so many different portals in those comics to submerge myself into, you know, different universes. And it was, that was my entry point into it. I used to spend hours as a kid at a comic book shop. It was great. Yeah. That, and were there any particular characters as you were a young fan? Which were the characters that were, you were kind of latching onto first? Um, I always gravitated towards Spider-Man. He, he was always my, my first choice. And Spider-Man was my favorite superhero for many, many years. Um, exclusively Marvel. For some reason, when I would look at the DC section of the comic book shops, it always seemed dark and dire to me compared to <laughs> the Marvel stuff. <laughs> I think Superman never appealed to me because he was the only thing I heard in Colombia. He was mm. the only thing I saw in Colombia. You know, Colombia was either... Superman or Batman, and that was it. But in getting into the Marvel side of things, I started seeing Spider-Man. I started seeing the fact that he was supposed to be, um, you know, a young person. So much closer to, you know, to me generationally. And he would experience his world. He would experience, you know, the acquisition of these powers. He would experience uh, facing off against villains and challenges and meeting all these other heroes as a young mind and that spoke a lot to me so spider-man was my fixation for many years i think that's really cool though that you had this experience with a character or rather you had the experience where you saw other characters that were really popular as you mentioned batman and superman in columbia and just those characters for whatever reason not to make it a marvel versus dc thing but just for whatever reason didn't speak to you and yet you see a character like spider-man it's kind of like you get it it's almost like thinking you don't like music just because the music everybody's playing or, or everybody's listening to is like not the music you like. And then you hear something right. you really like. and you're like, oh, I get this now. And this mm-hmm. is how like this. And now it actually makes sense to me because I found my thing. Um, I found my sound or in this case with Spider-Man, yeah. you found your hero that you're connecting with and you're relating to. And I think that's really awesome. So starts out with comic books and then when we yeah. we talk about the well, let's talk about your favorite character of Spider-Man. So where are you uh, in 2002 when the first Spider-Man movie is coming out? And, and what's your set you know, going into that? Because here's your favorite character now in a big budget movie for the very first time and, and oh, in yeah. live action, 70s TV show aside. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man getting the big Hollywood treatment for the first time. What's that experience for you? Oh, man, that was mind blowing to me. I, I So 2002, that was a year that I graduated high school. Um so when that movie came out in the summer of, of that year, I had just finished graduating from high school. It was a sense of freedom for me in general in my life. You know, I was stepping into, you know, a new realm of independence. Um, I was already working. I've been working since I was 16 years old. So I had the money, you know, to partake it and go watch it as many as I wanted to. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the trailers. You know, it was very, very difficult for me to process that, um, something could look that faithful and mind you there's a lot of details you know the suit had a lot of things that you know i wasn't used to seeing in in the in the comics and all that but 
the overall look and feel of the thing to me was mind-blowingly accurate, you know, when it came to, to the comics and, you know, Green Goblin aside too. But it was all about <laughs> Spider-Man, you know? Right, right. Spider-Man was it, man. And um, to see him come to life, I, I had so many moments during that movie where, you know, just watching him swing through New York City was so delightful to me because it's something that we had never seen. Mm-hmm. You know, we had never seen a hero that moved through space in such a unique way as Spider-Man does uh, come to life in, in, in such a realistic way. You know, the moment that we'd seen was, you know, Superman flying and stuff like that in, in, in the uh, original movies. But it didn't compare, you know, the, the CGI, the graphics were just so mind blowing to, to, to look at. So for me, it was quite literally a dream come true when, when I saw that movie. Yeah, it was for me as well, because I, of course, was a fan of Spider-Man. But as everyone who listens to the show knows, I mean, Hulk was my favorite Marvel character growing up. But mm-hmm. I was, you know, a year away from a Hulk movie uh, in 2003 <laughs> right. with Ang Lee's film. But Spider-Man was still very important because, as you said, you know, that comparison, I think, really comes into play here as just far as what I wanted and what I expected and what we kind of needed in order for these movies to be believable. Because with Superman... Yeah. Yes, uh, you know, the Superman, the movie in 1978, even though I didn't show up until 1983, but watching the movie as a kid, watching it on VHS, you know, yeah, I believed a man could fly, but can fly in a straight line and, you know, be Superman (laughs) and and look like Superman and and all of that. Uh, And it looks just the way that, you know, people would want it or expect uh, expect it to look. But with Spider-Man, you're realizing that this guy's got to swing and he's got to take all these different angles because he is Spider-Man. And, you know, my frame of reference would be the comic books, but then also animation where you can do anything. You can make a character move any way you want them to, which is perfect for Spider-Man. But how do you do that in live action? And then, yeah, you see the trailers for that movie and then the, the finished film. And it just looks exactly the way that you had dreamt it would look certainly the way that I had dreamt it would look. And so it was definitely a, a huge moment of, you know, this era of movies that I'd been waiting for my whole life had finally arrived. Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, X-Men helped in 2000, but Spider-Man was like the true test of like, if you can get Spider-Man Absolutely. and make that believable, now you can do anything. Um, yeah. But of course that was based on a very limited scope of what I even dreamt of them doing, which I was not mm-hmm. dreaming MCU at this point in 2002. But speaking of the MCU, do you remember how aware you were of what Marvel was building or were were you focused more on the bigger picture yet or going into Iron Man? Are you just looking at, I I hope this Iron Man movie is good. Um, I have no clue what they were building towards. So, but for some context, um, I became obsessed with the Marvel ultimate universe Mm. in the comic books. And I had read everything up to that point from the ultimate universe everything even the smaller titles that became my my universe it almost became like the only universe that i felt like i have fully completely explored in comics Mm. um because i never felt like the main continuity of marvel comics i had gotten deep enough into so all that to say that the african-american nick fury who looked like sam jackson was my Nick Fury. I never attached to the uh, Caucasian, uh, you know, gray-haired right. uh, version of Nick Fury. So when I watch Iron Man, which in itself, the movie in itself was mind-blowing to me. You know, it was one of, well, at the time for me, competing against the Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but it was the best uh, origin film that I had ever mm. seen for Hero, you know, from anything that we'd seen up to that point. So the movie in itself had already blown my mind. And when that end scene comes around and I did stick around for it, that end scene comes around and I see ultimate Nick Fury standing right there. Yeah. And I see him come to life here to speak to you about the Avenger initiative. I mean, it's so difficult to describe the emotion that I felt because it was like the combination of how submerged I was in the comics, in the ultimate universe, mm -hmm. what I was witnessing beginning before my eyes with Iron Man and the thoughts of where is this going? Right. What? The Avenger initiative. What are you talking about? Are you seriously telling me that this is going to be connected somehow? And then, of course, at the end of Incredible Hulk, when we see uh, Tony walk into that bar with General Ross, that's it. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the world suddenly became a much, much larger place for me. It was, uh, it's, it's, it's a describe, man, the feeling. Yeah, I was very aware of what Marvel was hoping to do, but I, I think with Iron Man, with that being the first movie, it was even that thought process, and I know Marvel Studios felt the same way. Is like none of this, all the other stuff we want to do doesn't matter if you don't, if they don't get this one right. And even with Iron Man, like that was my focus is I just want mm. this movie to be really, really good. And of course, it was amazing. And I already knew about the Nick Fury thing ahead of time that had already been spoiled. But even without that, just or even already knowing that seeing it happen um, and watching that scene. And then, as you said, you know, Robert Downey Jr. showing up in The Incredible Hulk and just knowing what they were building to. And then, of course, you know, the rest is history with kind of where uh, where everything went after that. But well, actually, let's since you were only just kind of becoming aware of wielding toward, mm -hmm. obviously the, the the full on arrival of the MCU really is the Avengers, you know, culminating phase one and, and bringing everything together oh, yeah. for the first time. So I would imagine that that experience, I mean, you see Spider-Man in 2002, you get to Iron Man in 2008, and now there's this promise of this big future and they deliver on that promise uh, for the first time of multiple times, but for the first time uh, with the Avengers. So what's that like for you? <laughs> So my, my second child, my son, Joshua, was born in 2002 and 2012. And um, I, my wife, my then wife was also coming, coming to, to watch a movie with me. She would join me for, for these Marvel premieres. But now we have this newborn and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to miss this thing. So I strapped them to my chest with one of those harness things. Uh-huh. <laughs> And this kid was, he was a newborn. He was born in March of that year. So he was tiny, you know, and he barely, you know, made a peep, made a peep during the whole movie. He was just, you know, going in there, experiencing the movie through my heart pounding <laughs> <laughs> and through me losing my breath at some of the scenes, you know, beauty human. Oh my God. Puny God. Like that scene in particular, I remember was, I quite literally lost my breath with how, how hard I started laughing. Mm -hmm. So the entire experience was so incredible and it kind of matches where we're, where we're going in, in, the, in this conversation because my son, whom I am now having such an active realm of discussions with regarding fandom and, and geekdom, uh, he was right there with me experiencing this thing come to life, which I never truly thought for some reason, I never thought that I would get to experience, you know, Marvel doing what I knew was possible through the comics universe, which I had seen countless times in there, right? In those pages. I never expected that they would in 
in turn come and bring that type of universe to life on the big screen. Yeah. And suddenly it was a mix of my own excitement and witnessing the excitement of all the people around me leading up to that movie, because for so many people around me, it was way out of the realm of possibility that something like this could ever be done. But for me, it was like, welcome to my world. This is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been, I've been in this stuff having to flip through pages, you know, welcome to, to the world and, and experiencing on the big screen. Cause this is, this is it. This is the reason why I always geeked out about this stuff. You know, this is the reason why uh, comics became my escape because they created these shared worlds and it was something larger and many times, you know, much more lively than what I had going on in my own life, you know? So God, you know, Avengers 2012, it's such an incredible experience. The last step that I'll ask you about on your own journey, um, it won't be Avengers Endgame because uh, you, as you mentioned, you, <laughs> I know we'll get to that. So um, growing up though, as a Spider-Man fan, I think, you know, the next major milestone that kind of sticks out there, no pun intended for Spider-Man is of course, Spider-Man arriving in the MCU. Oh, yeah. So when you're hearing about Spider-Man, of course, the news breaks that Spider-Man's going to be in the MCU. There's, he shows up for the first time in the civil war trailer or the second civil war trailer. Then of course you actually see civil war and there's Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man having this universe that gave you, as you mentioned, like it's, it's opening up everybody else to this world that you already kind of knew from the comic books. But now man's a part of it, just like he had always been for you, uh, but couldn't be, you know, intellectual right. property rights and licensing issues aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that Spider-Man is there, what's that like for you? You know, I, I've been telling my son for years um, as as he got a little bit older and he started being able to appreciate the movies, you know, just from the spectacular standpoint, because obviously storyline wise, he wasn't picking up a lot, you know, when he was four or five years old. But um, I kept telling him, you know, the one person who's missing in this thing is Spider-Man. And he would tell me, but there are Spider-Man movies, you know, look, you know, Andrew yeah. Garfield. <laughs> 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 and, and I told him, no, I know. But but see, the thing is, Spider-Man is also like a next door neighbor to Iron Man and to Captain America. Like these guys are all in the same city and we don't get to see that because of a lot of you know, contract reasons, you know, between Sony and Marvel. And when, when the announcement came out, you know, my excitement and telling him, buddy, buddy, he's going to be in it. He's going to join. They came to some kind of agreement. You know, he's actually, you're going to be able to see him together on the same screen with these, with the rest of these characters. Um, when I saw the appearance on the, in the trailer, uh, I didn't want to get spoiled. You know, that was, yeah. I saw the first trailer that was it for me. I didn't want to see anything else, partly because of the excitement of Spider-Man, but partly also because uh, Captain America Soldier to me is easily my favorite movie out of the entire MCU. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. That trilogy and it's on its own is a masterpiece, especially if you add on Infinity War and Endgame, you know, being carried by the Russos uh, and Marcus and McFeely. Um the excitement that I had going on, man, uh, going into that that movie was beyond anything that I had experienced so far, even beyond Avengers. Of course, I knew the similar storyline from the comics. Right. Um, I knew that we couldn't expect something at that scale. So I was very curious to see how much with the amount of characters that we had introduced at, until, uh, up to that point in the MCU, how could they weave this, call it Civil War? How could they pull that off? 
and pull off the introduction of Spider-Man <laughs> into the MCU. Yeah. Knowing that they weren't going to be able to go through Uncle Ben and, you know, his wrestling days and all right, that origin right. story. How the hell were they going to pull this off, you know? Um, and by the time the movie ended, you know, sure enough, uh, they put all my fears to rest. And um, the brilliant writing, the brilliant storytelling, I mean, it was the best Avengers movie that we had gotten up to that point, And it wasn't even an Avengers movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was mind-blowing. It really was. Yeah, I mean, I love Civil I mean... Everybody knows. I love a lot of these movies or pretty much movies, but yeah, Civil Wars uh, remains a highlight of the MCU, as does oh, yeah. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, as you mentioned. So, you know, we've kind of tracked a lot of your journey and, and the milestones of what you were, you know, what really brought it into you with fandom. And I, I love that your son's journey kind of begins, as you put it so beautifully, like just by hearing your heartbeat <laughs> with the first Avengers movie, obviously having no idea yeah. what's going on and, and never going to have a memory of that. But you know, it's it's literally kind of ingrained in him uh, in that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so in thinking about that idea, like you have your own experience, you have your own story, but now you're kind of playing a part in someone else's story uh, and someone else's right. fandom. Mm-hmm. And so... When does that process begin um, in a way that your son's aware of? Obviously not <laughs> with Avengers when he was there uh, strapped yeah. to you for that movie, but where, when he's more aware of it and wanting to see this kind of stuff and getting and having his own excitement about that, where where is that beginning? Is it the MCU? Is it shows on like Disney XD or, or wherever else? What are you kind of showing Joshua kind of initially to kind of get that the spark of that fandom? Did you, did you initiate it or did he actually come to you being like, I want to watch... You know, whatever oh, this no, is. No, I, I was definitely the portal for him. Um, so the, the, you know, I recently, you know, your iPhone will sometimes uh, show you memories, yeah. videos or photos from like years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was like two months ago, I got this one memory and it was a video of, of, of me holding Joshua. And um, there was a period of time when his mom was off uh, studying to get her master's. And so I was working freelance as a designer back then. Uh, from home. And so I, I would take care of the kids. You know, I had the most flexibility. So I would take them to school, pick them up, and I'd be there with them the entire day as while their mom was in school. And so he and I, in particular, we spent a lot of time together. And uh, it was a video during one of those, you know, middays where we were together and um, I'm sitting at my desk and around my entire desk, you know, I had all sorts of, you know, comic book posters and that sort of thing. I always had my comic books accessible. So he was always, you know, flipping through them and stuff like that. Um, but uh, he, he put on my glasses, these glasses that I used to uh, work on the computer. And I started telling him, you know, uh, you look like a, like a cute little geek baby. <laughs> and, you know, he would say like geek, geek. And then, uh, you know, I told him, you kind of look like Spider-Man with the big eyes. And he was like, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. So from that point where he must have been under two years of age, he was, it was already around him, you know? And so it was inevitable that when he started grabbing screens on tablets or going on the TV and he would come across anything related to the superheroes that he was seeing on my walls and that he was seeing in my, 
uh, it was inevitable that he was going to grab these things, you know, and mind you, he took a lot of detours, you know, Ninja Turtle period of time, Transformers season, uh, and a lot of other shows that I, you know, just newer stuff that I never got into. Right. Um, but he always kind of gravitated back towards the Marvel characters always. And it was always in his environment for sure. That's so great. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I don't have any kids yet, but I mean, it would be a miracle if they didn't end up being Marvel fans uh, because there's, they're definitely going to have every opportunity to be Marvel fans because the exposure oh, yeah. is going to be, the exposure <laughs> level will be so high. Um, yeah. But how has that experience though, like experiencing it through his eyes, uh, how has that experience been for you? Um, because I mean, that one part where it's, it's always magical for us to just watch the things we love and read the story we love. Um, but to see your son experiencing this and he's experiencing it from from a perspective that, you know, you never could. Right. And that right. I could. Right. Not just because we're all different people, but just from a very practical standpoint of you and I are more of the the generation of we wanted these movies, but they just didn't exist. Knew the reasons why and whatever. So we were just kind of uh, for as long as we needed to be to enjoy comics and animation. But for your son's generation growing up, where all of this stuff is just ever present and, and available. Um, mm -hmm. But also like I, in some ways it's kind of a bummer and this is where I'd be jealous of kids like Joshua. Like I don't get to experience the MCU from, through the eyes of a child. Like <laughs> I was almost 25 years old when the first Iron Man came out. So you're seeing like through the, the, the eyes, the imagination of a child watching the MCU be experienced. So what is that like for you to kind of have a front seat to his own fan journey through uh, more specifically the MCU. That's actually been a really, really interesting part of, of, of the journey for me with him because um, because of the fact that this stuff was constantly in his things, it was ubiquitous. It was like air. It was just air. You know what I mean? So it was very easy for him at times, especially during his younger years, it was very easy for him to kind of entertain it for a while and then oh look you know the uh, uh bob the builder and then just kind of <laughs> <Right. laughs> shift off to that or to another property you know star wars transformers teenage mutant ninja turtles and hop from thing to thing and many times i found myself you know feeling like but wait 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 there's more for you to you know understand about this right. or there's more i want to tell you and then i would have to kind of check myself and say dude he's only five years old calm <laughs> right. down <laughs> right. There will be a time when he's going to be able to experience things at a deeper level. So it's very interesting to see the phases that he has gone through in his own fandom, because during his younger years, I would say maybe until like six years of age, it was all about the flash. So if we're watching an MCU movie, he's going to sit there, the fight scenes, the flight scenes, the, you know, special effects scenes, the crazy scenes, mm -hmm. he's fixated. As soon as a conversation, the storytelling, the dialogue begins, he kind of tunes out, he checks out. Now, at eight years of age, he's starting, he's starting to go into a different phase where he's starting to appreciate a little bit more of the storytelling. And so he's starting to pick up on cues, more emotional cues, mm. more moral cues that he wasn't picking up on before. And he's starting to be very, very interested also in the behind the scenes aspect of, it. you know, how did they pull this off? How did they do this? You know, is that real or is that CGI? And so being able to have a walking, living encyclopedia in me, you know, is something that 
he has that I never had. I never had a dad to go to because I didn't grow up with my father. And my, you know, my mom was far from being a sci-fi fan. So I never had somebody to go to and ask all the wealth of questions that he's able to ask me and get answers to. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like if we're in the middle of watching a movie, he doesn't have to stay with this question mark in his mind about how does that connect to this other thing or why did that happen? He can pause it and ask me, daddy, he just said this and this and that. Is that because of the other movie? And then suddenly I come in and I start giving him all the information, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> connecting all the dots for him. And he's, he's able to suddenly, it's like his mind is expanding before my eyes when I'm giving him little bits of information and trivia. And that in itself makes his experience so much, so much more, you know, unique from mine. Um, so yeah, it's been very interesting. You really, as the parent in this situation, you really do kind of take a back seat. And you're waiting until the child becomes curious about the next depth, the next level, the next layer of the fandom. And you're just there to answer questions at that point yeah. <laughs> and enjoy it all through their eyes. You know, the first time that they start experiencing things that you experienced as a kid, major revelations or whatever it is that happens. Um, it's like you're living it all over again, you know, through a different lens. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it's great that you take that approach too of just kind of sitting back and, and letting your son kind of come to you with questions um, as opposed to, you know, doing the helicopter parenting of while watching the MCU, like, see what he said there? That means this. Like, if he has a question, he'll ask. Uh, I, I think you're taking, I think that's an awesome approach because you're letting him experience it for himself and kind of being there as a resource. Um, so you mentioned, you know, he's picking up on, you know, things that are maybe a little more subtle and a little more nuanced in the storytelling you're talking about kind of the the moral of the of the characters is that something that you find yourself kind of adapting into your parenting style of uh anytime you need to teach joshua a lesson or anything like that um or just oh, I mean, does it inspire like those types of conversations where it goes like you know relating how characters behave uh in their world to how we you know mm -hmm. behave or or how we we wish we would behave in our in our real one yeah, look, uh, in uh, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, Joshua. So Joshua recently got into Taekwondo mm. and he just recently joined their sparring class. So he's starting to experience impact and being hit and being knocked down for really the first time in his life. And so we started having conversations about toughness and we had one very specific conversation where, you know, I was sitting on the floor in his room and just chatting with him about the, about this subject. And this is an MCU content, but um, I brought up uh, Dragon Ball as an example. And the fact that the Saiyan race, you know, which Goku and Vegeta are part of, they have this thing about them that when they when they're in a very intense battle and they're pushed to their absolute limit and they lose a battle after they recover their power level automatically gains an entirely new, an entire new uh, layer. Mm. So once they push themselves to their edge again, their edge is farther away, right? And so suddenly they can transcend to the next Super Saiyan level or whatever it is. And so I start using this thing with him in this conversation just to make the point that even though it frustrated him that he was knocked down during this practice, the fact that he got knocked down, the fact that he was pushed to his limit is learn is, is teaching him a, a new perspective on pain and on the shock of being defeated. 
And that the next time that he's faced with a challenge or a challenger during a sparring session, he's going to be a little bit less scared, a bit more confident because he's going to be able to take it a lot better to take the blow, to take the hit a lot better than, than the first time. And I told him, you are like a Saiyan. And every time that you're pushed to the limit, even if you fail, the very next time that you stand up and you go back into the fight, you're going to be able to go farther. And then the next time, even farther and farther, you're going to unlock levels within yourself, just like the Saiyans do. So this is geeky as hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but in reality, it points to the fact that, you know, these stories teach real lessons. These, you know, the, the fictional stories are reflections of real life just embellished like crazy. Um, and that's been one of the most rewarding things to see how all this fandom for all this fiction can truly become a, a connecting point between myself and my son to teach real lessons. You know, that, that to me is, uh, I can't quantify the value of it, man. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And I think that's what is meaningful. And it's like you said, I mean, there's the superficial aspect of, yeah, we can all be dazzled by extraordinary action with bright, colorful cooms and funny, witty characters and all of that stuff. But that will wear off. Uh, and, and you don't stay with that if that's all that it's offering. So, you know, the, right. the fact that, you know, you and I, as people who grew up stories and, and, you know, never grew out of these stories, that's because there are lessons that, uh, that still hold true, no matter how old you are. Um, and then when you, when you reach an age where you can start to tap into that, as your son's reaching that age, you know, it really is a special thing. And I think that's kind of where you see it, uh, enduring. And, and I think that's kind of what separates it. You know, just going back to in, in my own experience, right? I mean, being a kid who was a fan of these things, um, would every once in a see, you know, another kid who was a, a fellow fan of it, but they didn't stick with it for whatever reason, you know, kids get into different right. stuff. They go on their own divergent paths for whatever reason. But in just thinking of my own experience of part of the reason why I, I think I would have stuck with this is I was getting more out of it than just, oh, that's fun. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> cause lots of things yeah. are fun. Um, mm -hmm. but the things you stick with are the things that I, I think you find the most meaning in. And, and so whether that's Dragon Ball or whether that's the MCU, I mean, that's where, as you're talking about, like it's, these are, these stories are created by real people. And that's why, you know, right. and these are, you know, them a reflection of the real lessons that they've learned that they want to communicate, that they want to express in the stories that they tell, whether that's a story that's set very much in a, a more realistic world that's very familiar to a lot of us, or it's a more fantastical version of our world like the Marvel Cinematic Universe or all the way out in the cosmos of the MCU with Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy. And so in addition to witnessing your your son's experience as a fan, I'm curious how how that's come back to you because you know you had mm -hmm. your experience be, being a fan before your son and now you're you're witnessing your son's experience but for you as a fan, how do you feel your experience has changed? Are there things that that resonate with you now, maybe more so than they did? Because maybe it's because you saw, maybe it's just your perspective of having gained perspective in life, being a parent, or right. something that maybe didn't mean as much to you, and then you saw it meant to your son, and then you looked at it a different way. It could be a see a movie, and now mm -hmm. it resonates with you in a different way. So in the same way that maybe, in a really overlong way of asking this question, uh, maybe <laughs> in the way that, you know, 
you have kind of helped shape and guide your son's fandom a little bit. Is there a way where he's kind of given it back to you um, and how maybe he's changed your own, he's helped change your perspective on the things that you already, you know, knew and loved for so many years? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, I, because I tend to think very deep into things, um, there's a tendency in me to almost fixate on on needing to find the deeper part of things of a story to be able to fully enjoy it Mm. and i think that through through seeing how he has experienced all these different properties um i've come to the point of realizing like man there is a simplicity to how a child views these stories that allow him to just submerge himself in the fantasy of it which of course i did as a kid but as you grow up, you, you start sort of, you know, your brain just, you know, the wiring changes a bit, you know what I mean? And, um, you lose sight of that. And so there were some movies, uh, MCU and non-MCU movies that we would go watch and we would walk out and I'd I'd be sitting there after the movie thinking, you know, well, I guess, you know, the character development could have been a little bit more fleshed out or whatever. And then Joshua next to me, well, yeah, but it was so cool because of the thing that (laughs) happened with the, and it just gave me pause a lot of times and made me realize like, yeah, you know, I need to chill out a little bit and just appreciate this thing for the blockbuster that it is, you know, appreciate it for the, the fantastic, you know, uh, visual experience that it is. There is a lot more than just the, the deep story, you know? So I think that he kind of balanced that out in me, you know, and, and led me to appreciate things a bit more. And also when I, when I go watch a movie with him or when I used to, at least (laughs) back when watching movies in theaters was a thing, I would experience a movie very differently when I watched it with him versus Mm -hmm. when I watched it on my own, you know? And I, it always, it almost always became a thing where I knew that I was going to watch every single movie at least twice, once with him and once by myself, and that those two experiences were going to be absolutely different. So when I watched with him, I didn't mind being uh, distracted by him and interrupted by him asking me a question or whatever, even if I missed a bit of dialogue or I missed a bit of the story, or if I had to go, you know, take him to the bathroom or whatever it was during a scene, I didn't mind it. You know, I experienced it as he experienced it and I walked away with it with that level of uh, simple entertainment and delight that he did. So yeah, he definitely balanced, balanced out the over, I don't know, analyzing that that I did for these movies for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really key point because even I talked about how, yeah, the superficial part of it is not necessarily the, the part that lasts forever. Well, it it wouldn't last if it was just that, but that part is still pretty cool. And, and I think, like you said, balance is the key thing that we, we maybe stick with this stuff uh, because we are analyzing it and thinking about it on a deeper level and what the characters' choices mean in their journeys and whether that's because we're relating to it in some direct way or we're just purely empathizing with them or whatever it is. But yeah, it's still cool to watch Captain America shield and hit something. Like it's still cool <laughs> yeah. to see like a lot of stuff and to have all of the Avengers coming through portals. And I mean, of course, it's a very emotional moment, but then it's also just cool mm-hmm. to see a big battle with a bunch of heroes against a bunch of villains. And so there is kind of, there's still a a purity to that, um, that I think is great for, you know, for your son to be able to help keep that as part of your perspective. It doesn't mean you, we, we stop analyzing, thinking them down and considering emotional choices and all that stuff. Of course we still do that, 
but we can also still enjoy just what's purely fun and cool about all of this stuff. And and I think that perspective is important to maintain. And and that's even something that I would say even for myself, like that's part of in my own process of of growing with these movies is understanding that being an adult doesn't mean like completely separating yourself from the stuff that you enjoyed as a kid and the elements right. that you really enjoyed as a kid. Cause I think for, I, I think a lot of fandom has kind of gotten over this over the past several years. And I think the MCU deserves a lot of credit for it, but you know, there was definitely kind of a time even in the early days of the MCU, people would use the word fun as like, as a, as faint praise, like, Oh, they're fun. Um, meaning right. that they're, they're fun, but they're not like quote unquote movies. Um, right. You know, and I, and I think it's that, that idea that, oh, it is fun, then that means it, it doesn't have uh, a deeper meaning. But actually, it can be fun and have a deeper meaning at the same time. There can be that balance, right. which I think is what the MC for better than certainly anything in the superhero space and better than a lot of other movies that are out there, uh, which is why yeah. I spend so much time talking about it. But I think that, that's a really great point, though, is, is you, you know, we do get so deep into our own of how much we love these, things, how much they mean to us, um, but also... That whole part of Spider-Man, as you mentioned, Spider-Man 2002, Spider-Man web-slinging is still just cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I think I think uh, to, to your to your point just now that um, there are very few, very few makers of entertainment who can strike that balance and speak to both edges mm-hmm. of the generations. Um and I, I th- to me, the two that stand out are, are the MCU and Pixar. Mm. You know, Pixar is the other, um, the other entertainment maker where no matter what movie I go watch with my kids, I'm going to watch a different movie than they're going to watch. Right. You know what I mean? Like, this thing speaks to me as an adult and it's entertaining them as kids and it's teaching us both lessons and it's speaking, it's tugging at both our hearts. I mean, that's an art. That's yeah. a, that's a very difficult skill to have as a storyteller to to speak across generations. Um, I think Star Wars, you know, does an incredible job at it as well. Um, but but that's it. It really it's very difficult to find some uh, you know a world that you can submerge yourself into, no matter no matter your age, and that you're going to walk away with something. That's that's an incredible thing. Yeah, and Pixar is a great example. I mean, one of my favorite movies of the last, I mean, really one of my favorite movies ever, but certainly within the last decade or so is Inside Out. Um, oh, so when you talk watching a different movie, I think what's great about it is no matter which movie you're watching, whether you're watching it as the five-year-old or you're watching it as a 35-year-old or whatever it is, is that you're still getting similar lessons from it. It's just the level yeah. in which you process it is very different. Like, there are educators and people who work with kids who use those emotions from inside out in order to work with kids, in order to help kids process their feelings. Are you are you sadness today? Are you anger today? Are you joy <laughs> today? Awesome. And, wow. you know, people use that. But then also, and, and the movie works on that level, processing our emotions, kind of that thing we learn as kids where emotions are not mutually exclusive. There can be something that's happy and sad simultaneously, as of right. course is a big part of the plot of the movie. But then also you get Mm -hmm. into the emotional complexity of abstract thought, of depression, of all these different things that kind of go into (laughs) Inside Out. And it's working on all of those levels. So whether you're trying to simplify emotion for a child or honor the complexity of emotion for an adult, uh, it still works. And I I think that, you know, that's why that aside, that digression for Inside Out, it's still an amazing film. Um, but yeah, I, I Definitely think agree. those are like the great movies that really resonate with people or the things that can kind of do both and that can speak to 
the different aspects of the human. It's even things that are maybe a little more simple, joyful, even, uh, and fun, but then also things that are, you know, like when I think about the MCU, I am amazed and delighted when we see like Captain America fight himself in New York in 2012. But oh, yeah. I'm also very happy with a very quiet moment, a conversation between Steve Rogers and Natasha Romanoff involving a peanut butter sandwich. Like that yes. to me just as much as anything <laughs> else. But it yeah. is both like that. I love both. I, I love I love aspects of that. It's not like I love one at the expense of the other. It's just loving all of right. it for different reasons and the different ways that it can speak to you. And there it just goes back to, again, that that word being balance, which I've talked about right. in the MCU long before Thanos made it cool. So um, <laughs> so in, in thinking about this experience, though, I mean, with uh, with your son and the way that has kind of informed your perspective and, and almost in some ways kind of reinformed, reeducated your perspective in a way of like it brought you back to things that, that maybe you weren't focusing as much on and what brought you joy for this. I'm just curious if now, um, besides just looking at his experience in the past tense, is there, as you're watching something for the first time, I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. if he's there with you, then that's part of it. But do you see yourself even, even not necessarily having to reconsider moments after the fact, but even as it's happening, are, is that changing the way you're processing these movies in real time now to where like you're thinking, you know, because before maybe too, too much in your own head, not focusing as much on the, on the simpler things and the purity of it. But now as you're watching something, you're still analyzing it, but also like reminding yourself like, yeah, this is still just cool. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the, the one where uh, that that became very clear was probably uh, probably Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. where seeing him enjoy that movie, I, I saw it, I think I saw it before him by myself, and then I saw it, I saw it with him. And when I saw it just by myself, I appreciated the comedy. Mind you, a lot of the comedy goes over goes over kids' heads, right? Sure. Uh, especially at the, the age that he was at at that point. But when I saw it with him, um, it was just her enjoyment at watching this this entire outer space world come to life, you know, which we hadn't really seen to that degree yet in the MCU. Um, it reminded me a lot of you know my own amazement at seeing the Star Wars world come to life. You know, all the different alien species, the the organizational system of that, you know, that world and all that. And, um, but it was just the, the sense of novelty that he saw it with, you know, pure novelty and just amazement at that for the fact of that, you know, just for, for the sake of that. Um, it it kind of let me see the movie with a bit more purity in a sense, you know, and realize it's like, Hey, you know, even if, even if the larger connections to the rest of the MCU and the the very clear directions that I knew that that movie was going to tie into, you know, many other events down the road, um, even if all that was out of the way, this was just a fun movie. Yeah, you know, it's a really really fun movie visually, very fun, very appealing. For God's sake, they're in a planet that is actually the cranium of a, you know, <laughs> yeah. a dead alien. Uh, so it's like all these all these little things that. Um, that just allowed me to go into it with a sense of purity. So like when the future movies came around, I, I walked into it every time that I walked into it with him, I walked into it with that mindset already where, man, I'm just, I'm ready to be entertained. I'm ready to just be blown away and kind of go on this ride. Mm -hmm. I'll worry about the deeper stuff right. when I'm on my own, but right now let me just enjoy the heck out of this thing, you know, with him at kind of a, his level and in the same way that he's enjoying it. And that has allowed me actually to enjoy a lot of other films that 
lack when it comes to the depth. So like the, you know, the latest Ninja Turtle movies, the live action uh, Ninja Turtle movies, um, some of the Transformer stuff. I don't know. It, I just, I, I don't walk in with the same level of criticism, mm. you know, and uh, I just kind of enjoy it just for the sake of what it is. It's a kid, it's a kid adventure, you know, it's a, it's a visual adventure meant to entertain them. And why not put myself back into that seat? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also important to, when you keep that in mind, I mean, and, and certainly with your perspective, it's well-informed on that since you, you have your son. But I think sometimes as we grow up with these things, we forget that we, th- we continue. Sometimes we can fall into that trap of continuing to think that, oh, this is for us because we've always loved it. Um, right. But right. You know, when we first loved a Spider-Man cartoon or a Hulk cartoon, it wasn't for 30 year olds. It was for us, you know, as kids. And so, you know, the MCU still needs to be there for that. Now, obviously, the goal with these movies is that they want to be everyone or for as many people as they can be across different generation. Right. Just like there are 80 year olds who love Rocket and Groot, uh, who think that those characters are awesome or love Avengers Endgame. Um, and yes, those of us in our thirties, uh, or wherever you're at, uh, age wise, whoever may, may be listening out there, but you know, <laughs> we love this stuff as adults. It's also important to remember that this should still be thing that kids can latch onto and, and appreciate because that's what it was for us too. We didn't find, some of us maybe did find our Marvel fandom in our adulthood and that's totally cool. Sure. Um, but for a lot of us who found it as kids, it's great for it to still be available for kids to find and for kids to be able to access in their own way and, and in their own time. And I think that's another great thing the MCU compared to uh, when you and I were growing up is just thinking about, you know, you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. When I, I was your son's age, even now at your son's age of eight, I did not know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were uh, right. when I was uh, when I was eight years old. And of course, at that point, the iteration of guardians that we know in the movies were not the guardians, uh, you know, at that point. So that didn't, that team was not put together in the comics until 2008. But I think what's so wonderful about the MCU among the many things is that for any kids who are growing up or adults is that there's so many different characters that you might be able to latch onto. Like you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, you know, when you were growing up, Batman and Superman were kind of ever present. And then you really kind of had to find Spider-Man for yourself. And what's different about the MCU and these movies being so popular and and so good is that I don't think kids with that anymore. I don't think kids with here's your two choices of, you know, you like this character or that character you have kids grow up with so many choices, whether it's Black Panther or Shuri or Rocket, or Groot, or Gamora, Nebula, whoever it is, like kids have so many different potential access points for the character that maybe resonates with them in a very specific way uh, that right. opens them up to the experiences of all these other characters. And I think that's really great. And and what would you, are there, are there characters that have kind of, that you've noticed have been kind of been more of a, a favorite for your son, characters that he's kind of gravitated towards and is that Spider-Man or maybe is it other characters that maybe you weren't as, uh, you know, as, as big of a fan of when you were his age? Well, yeah. Um, I think that he, he's really grabbed on to Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Okay. You know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of his go-to anything that features him, anything that, anything where he's going to show up, like that is his thing. He, 
he never gravitated that way towards uh, towards Sam Raimi Spider-Man mm-hmm. or towards uh, the Mark Webb Spider-Man. He never really had that same attachment to to that to the Spider-Man character until the Tom Holland version came along. So that is that's kind of his his thing right there. Um, and you know, inc- incredibly enough for me, um, in in my 30s i think i shifted away from spider-man mm. and i think that just has to do probably with life experience and how your life changes as you as you age but i appreciate that spider-man that version of spider-man a lot through his eyes and there's so much of what has gone on in the mcu that i look at and i say i think to myself joshua when when you're a teenager or when you're in your 20s and you're reanalyzing Tom Holland Spider-Man and his entire character arc, you're going to catch on to so many things that you have no awareness of right now. Like for example, the the relationship with Tony Stark. Mm. You know, and the father figure that he came to occupy in his life. Um as we're watching this together, he and I, I can't help be, you know, like feel the parallels of the, the fatherhood aspect of that. Right. You know, um, and, and it, it touches me, you know, in a very, very deep way because I'm seeing, I'm sitting there next to my son, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking down and I'm seeing him there, you know, sitting on the floor, looking at this entire story take place. And he's very focused on very different aspects of that story right now. But, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, man, when it hits you later on down the road, when you're older, like, holy cow, here I was yeah. watching this father hurry with my dad sitting there next to me. That's something that is it just speaks to the layers of these stories and how much they can hit you at different stages of life, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. You know, it, it's, it almost keeps the stories timeless because mm-hmm. you're always going to have some character at different stages of your life that you're going to be able to tap into, which, you know, to your point earlier that a lot of people do discover this fandom in, later in their lives. They didn't discover it as kids. But the beautiful thing about the stories is that you have people on every level of, you know, the human experience, Mm -hmm. every stage of the human experience. So you have an entry point, no matter where you're at, where you're at, you know, you could find a story that appeals to you, that speaks to you. I mean, look at Marvel, look what the MCU has done. These classic actors, you know, bringing them as the older versions Mm -hmm you know, of, of, of characters from within this world, right? You've got uh, Hank Pym being right. played by Michael Douglas. Come on, Michael Douglas, right. man. <laughs> right. And, and he does it so well. And he brings such a, such a gravitas to the character into the Ant-Man story by being that first incarnation of Ant-Man. And we've seen so little of him in action as Ant-Man but just the fact that he comes in, it already adds another layer to that entire story. Or, you know, the same thing with, um, uh, who am I thinking of here? Blanking out. Uh, Maybe Robert Redford in Winter Soldier. Thank you. Yes. yes. Robert Redford. Yes. Thank you very much. Same thing, right? Yeah. You've got this guy who has played roles of, you know, dealing with the espionage world and all that right. in previous films. And now when he comes in and he's playing this, you know, uh, the, the double agent type of character in this film, running this organization, Nick Fury reporting to him, it just adds this incredible layer of almost credibility to the story. Oh, absolutely. And so again, 
who knows? I wonder if out there you've got some fan of Robert Redford throughout his entire career who just happened to go into this movie because he was in it and tapped into an incredible conspiracy theory, conspiracy thriller type of superhero movie that is America, Captain America Winter Soldier and was able to appreciate it because that was their entry point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, uh, doorways all over the place to, to, to jump into the, the MCU no matter what age you're, you're, you're doing it at. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I, and I think that's what enriches the whole experience. And that's why I just love the idea that, and that's why I always say like everybody's journey in their own fandom, it's valid. You know, whether it's as a kid later in life through the comics, through the MCU, through a video game, whatever it is. And, and but because I, I think just knowing that there are so many different ways we've all accessed these stories and then just had our minds blown as we went deeper and deeper into it. Uh, that is such a huge beauty of it. And that's why I love talking to other fans about their experience because I know it's different from mine. And there might be uh, there might be some in some cases more overlap or less just depending on, you know, the, uh, depending on the situation. But I think what's awesome about the MCU, as I mentioned, so many different characters to be an, an entry point into this world. And as you mentioned, I mean, yeah, maybe somebody who just always loved Michael Douglas or Robert Redford go checks out a Marvel movie just because they're in it. Um, sure. And then all of a sudden, they're all about it. I mean, Robert Redford only like the the casting coup of all casting coups in the MCU to me because like he was <laughs> for my no for my mom and dad like he was their movie star. Like just growing right. up as a kid, Robert Redford was the man, like the mm -hmm. A list movie star. Because I even remember like when he was uh, what was it, Legends of the Fall or whatever he did, or, no, or River Runs Through, whichever one he did with Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, it was that kind of handoff of like Robert Redford to like the new movie star oh, yeah. and like Robert Redford was just the guy. And of course I grew up watching those movies and of course loving and playing baseball as a kid, grow up watching Robert Redford in the natural. So when he's going to be in Captain America, the winter soldier, I'm like, there's just no way that's not a guy that the MCU gets to have access right. to. Like, there's just no way. Uh, and yet my mom and dad, being diehard Robert Redford fans, did not see Captain America Winter Soldier in theaters. They saw it later. Um, right. But when we talk about entry points, right? Like it, it goes the other direction too. Like for the MCU uh, with you, like kind of introducing your son to it. Uh, for me, like with, uh, with my parents, I, I took them to see the Avengers and they liked it. But Guardians of the Galaxy ended up really being the entry point, uh, particularly for my mom in the MCU, who's become a bigger fan of the MCU over the past several years, just because she saw the trailer. And, and she's like, that's the first time I ever saw a trailer for one of these movies. And I just wanted to see it, whether you were seeing it or not. <laughs> and so, interesting. Uh, wow. yeah. And so, you know, took her to see Guardians uh, with my dad as well on, on opening night. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it probably was the music. Um, and so she, uh, of course, loved it. And then like she and then she kind of clicked and then it kind of re she remembered like, oh, I did like the Avengers. And so then what we ended up doing was watching all of the MCU from there. And, but Guardians was the movie that really made it click for her. And so in that same way that your son is kind of understanding you, that was, uh, you know, but in the opposite direction, that was my mom understanding me because then she even actually said, like, wow. I finally yeah. get it. Like the, 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 cause she knew I loved this stuff all the time. I mean, she was, she and my dad were the ones buying me the toys and buying me the comics and, and whatever else, taking me to the comic shop. Um, mm -hmm. or if I wasn't riding my bike, cause back, you know, back in my day, you could ride your bike somewhere <laughs> and get to the comic <laughs> shop. Um, right. but like she, you know, she finally kind of get why this appeals to you in the different ways that it appeals to me. And uh, not to say that her experience is now the same as mine. Obviously it, it still resonates with her in ways that it doesn't quite with me. 
and every, we each have our own individual experience, but it just shows that whatever the access point may be, um, it does have that way to kind of promote a collective understanding of other, which I, I think is really, really wonderful that we don't, we, we may have our, we have our own favorites, our own stories, uh, that resonate with us maybe more so as our favorite movie in the MCU, our favorite scenes, characters, whatever it is, that can be very, very specific, but there is this universal nature to the experience of, of loving these characters and really these stories, uh, even specific ways, but that it, it has that unifying quality, uh, which yeah. I think is uh, something that's so, that, that's so wonderful about it. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, one of, the, one of the wonderful things about the what Marvel cracked open by creating the shared universe experience, which, you know, still really no one else has been able to do um, at their level is that, you know, especially now that we're seeing it spill onto the Disney plus shows being truly fully connected to the MCU, you, you, you're now able to, because of how large this entire space is, you're now able to start catering to many right. other audiences, you know, in the same way that comics, you know, were able to do that, you know, comics uh, were able to cater to the people who were more into the magical side of things or the technological side of things or the, you know, straight up fighting action side of things or the space side of things. Um, and then there were maturity levels too, right? You had your ghostwriters and punishers and right. Knights who were handling much more mature subject matters than the Spider-Mans and Iron-Mans. So you're able to now that you've translated that entire shared universe into the screen, whether it be large or small, you're really able to cater to different audiences, tell very rich stories to people who care about a very specific subject matter. You know, I can only imagine that when we see Moon Knight come to life, you know, right. in, in his own series, you're going to start dealing with all kinds of aspects of mental health and things that really the MCU has not that has not delve, uh, delved into yet. And, uh, you know, same thing, Kamala Khan, right? That is, we're going to start seeing a true teenage experience within this entire world. Yes, but she's a teenager, you know, right. and we're going to see a lot. I imagine we're going to see a lot of the teenage experience, the modern day teenage experience woven into that entire storyline. So, man, the the possibilities and how many different directions Marvel can go and how many different audiences it can cater to. Um, it's, it's truly endless at this point. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's the, the word that has to get underscored in all of that is we, we talk about the shared universe, but I think it's that word that perhaps is more key than anything. Cause you, we talk about the shared universe in the context of one larger continuity, but it's also just us sharing a collective experience that we each have our own individual things. And as you said, with Moon Knight, Kamala Khan, um, you know, I am not the target audience for a Miss Marvel show, and I shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> like, I am. There are <laughs> right. going to be elements of that story that I've just, you know, of course, have never experienced. But that's not really the point to be, you know, a direct correlation to your experience. Sometimes that happens. A lot of times it doesn't. But it's the way you're able to see these characters and these stories, you know, through their own eyes, and, and the way that Marvel lets you into their world and, and validating their emotional experience in a way that you relate to it as an audience member in the way that promotes our abilities to relate to one another as we have our shared experience with the shared universe. Um, mm -hmm. And speaking of sharing, uh, I know that uh, you son do some sharing a little bit uh, on a podcast of your own, right? So why don't you uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
feel free to uh, to plug away. So uh, let everybody know about <laughs> the podcast that you've got going. Yeah. So my my son uh, a couple of years back started bugging me about creating a YouTube channel. Right. He first started off as a YouTube channel. He at that point he was starting to get into a lot of the um, you know the ninja. Dan TDM, that whole thing, you know, so he became obsessed with the whole YouTube world. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll create a YouTube channel for you. Um, I'm a, I'm a creative director professionally. Um, and so I focus mainly on the marketing side of things, but you know, I, as an amateur, I dabble into video production, audio production, the whole deal. And, um, I feel comfortable navigating, you know, any of that. So I said, all right, let's create a YouTube channel for you. We started doing it, but then I think I probably over-exaggerated the setup and the lighting and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the creative director in me kind of took over and it became too much. And after like two episodes, I kind of started losing the momentum for it. And he started losing the momentum as well. Fast forward to right the pandemic started. And he and I were having a conversation about who is more well-known back Superman. Mm. Um, just on our couch, we're just casually having this conversation. And I decided to create a Facebook poll just for my friends, for our friends and family to jump in on the conversation. And I recorded a video of us saying, you know, blah, 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 we're disagreeing on this point. So then we put it out there, we got the results and then we started talking about it, you know, and as we were talking about it, you know, I started thinking, man, you know, look at how people reacted, you know, look at all the comments that people left us and I was reading them to them. And I told them, you know, people get into these kind of conversations, maybe, maybe we should do a podcast, you know, and, and, and have these chats just between us yeah, uh, and let people, you know, listen in. He loved the idea. And so because we had already created a, a name and a logo and branding and stuff like that for the YouTube channel, I just kind of took all that and changed it and adapted it for a podcast. And so uh, it's called Geekology 101. Um, it, we launched it within one weekend and just started making, you know, episodes. Um, and really each episode is focused in on one subject. And it's just a discussion between 37 year old me, eight year old Joshua, and bringing those two perspectives to whatever topic we may be talking about. And it's all focused, of course, on, you know, the world geekdom. So anything from comics to shows to movies um, to, I mean, books, audio books, we've discussed all sorts of things, games. And, um, and yeah, you know, fast forward all these months, you know, it's going to almost be, uh, I think maybe eight or nine months that we're into it and the discussion continues <laughs> and yeah. we are over a hundred episodes in now. Um, and we love it, man. It's, it's an expression of all this that we're talking about, you know, and it's our platform to just, you know, uh, bring people into that conversation. So, you know, that uh, you can access that wherever podcasts are found, Geekology 101. Um, our website is geekology101.com. And uh, on the social medias, you can find us at G101podcast. Awesome. Anywhere you're at. Yeah. Make sure you all uh, check that out, Geekology 101, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, uh, Diego, I want to thank you so much for joining me on MCU Fan Show, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, both of them. There was an entire podcast that you all didn't hear yeah. uh, that Diego and I had uh, before we started recording, uh, but thank you so much again for, the, of course, the support on the Patreon, um, but most importantly for just a really fun geek conversation. Really enjoyed Thank you. Absolutely, man. I had a blast. Thanks a lot. 
Appreciate it. My thanks again to Diego for a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you did, then feel free to check out Diego's podcast. The name of that, again, is Geekology 101. So you can hear Diego and his son talking about Marvel and other wonderful things that they love to discuss. And that is where we will go ahead and wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us in the places you can. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at MCU Fan Show. If you want to follow me, you can do that at Mr. Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. So for MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean. Take care. We'll see you next time. 